1: Welcome to New York. Anything to declare? I'm going to hang a high wire between the two towers of the World Trade Center and work on it. (laughs) Good luck. No matter where I was going or what I was doing, I was always searching, looking for the perfect place to hang my wire. Whoa. I need you to help me pull this off. I got just the guys. Now it starts.
0: Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that put Lady Marmalade back into the popular consciousness years before Moulin Rouge. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my Francophile co-host, Chris File. Hello. Bonjour, Chris.
1: Bonjour, Joseph. (laughs) Oh, my little immigrant. I can't uh, believe... Listeners cannot see this, but we have um, chef hats on. We are uh, we are steaming the lobsters. We are full
0: Ratatouille mode right now. Um, I, I had forgotten that this movie starts with him perched on the torch of the Statue of Liberty. Literally exactly the same as Henri <laughs> the Pigeon. In An American Tale, as voiced by Christopher Plummer, which is like my go-to for bad French, like for like hammy French accents or whatever. I could not, could not believe that that's what the... And that he's wearing, he puts on a little top hat, which is also from the that scene in An American Tale. I, I was, I was gooped, as they say. So young and you have lost hope? Ah, oh, this is America, the
1: place to find hope! If you give up, you will never find your family. Which, um, uh, Zemeckis... was Zemeckis a producer on American Tail, or is that just Spielberg and George Lucas? I thought that might be something.
0: Well, it was, Zemeckis um... Or. Don Bluth was the director, but, like, his whole, like, little, um... Because it was an up.
1: Amblin movie.
0: It was an Amblin movie. You're totally right about that. Um, it doesn't show up on his producer credits. Let me, um...
1: And that's me just thinking wrong. However, it would be well, really funny if he whole, was somewhat like... associated and then fully just ripped off an American Ugh. tale.
0: God, it's so good. I love that movie so much. We need to, like, drum up some Oscar buzz for that movie uh, so I can go. So we can Because <laughs> you just want to talk like... about American tale? Yeah, that's an Oscar
1: nominee. Was that not an original song nominee? It was. All right, now I've got it on IMDb, so I can. Probably for play. the wrong song, because I'm sure that I, I would bet money right now that Somewhere Out There was an Oscar nominee, if not the winner that year, but it they was... should absolutely have nominated There Are No Cats in America.
0: They should have nominated There Are No Cats in America, although that song is like. I guess all the songs in that movie are super short. They did nominate an, uh, Somewhere Out There, which is a great song. And like. Kind of weird when you, when, like, because it also was, as were many songs from animated films at the time, uh, covered on, like, a pop version, so in this case it was Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram, and their version of it sounds very much like a love song, but of course in the movie, it is sung between two sibling mice, and, um, (laughs) no, they lost to- Incest
1: (laughs) anthem somewhere out there.
0: Lost to Berlin's Take My Breath Away from Top Gun, because it was- um,
1: sure that year
0: god that movie was earlier than i even thought it was that okay this is a really good year god okay all of the 80s are good years for best original song that's like the secret sauce of the best original song category Mm -hmm. is that you pick any year from the 80s and it is fire upon fire upon fire okay so this one the sort of the throwaway is a henry mancini song from Uh, A movie called That's Life, and the song is called Life in a Looking Glass. Like, set that one aside. (laughs) Other four. Winner is Take My Breath Away from Top Gun. Which, like, say what you will about Top Gun, and I will. But, like, that's a really good song. Somewhere Out There from An American Tale. Makes me cry whenever I see it in context. Uh, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space, which was the song that they added to Little Shop of Horrors. And Alan Menken, Howard Ashman, like... Classic, classic for a reason. And then the fifth one, which a lot of people find incredibly cheesy, but I super love, is Peter Cetera's Glory of Love from The Karate Kid Part 2, which is (laughs) a karaoke favorite if you ever uh, have the misfortune of being in the same room as me doing karaoke. I will find a way to do either Glory of Love or You're the Inspiration (laughs) by Peter Cetera because I just will. All right.
1: Please now I want to find Peter Satura actually wrote the song so that we have Oscar nominee Peter Satura.
0: Yeah, he absolutely did. He and oh, fantastic. Uh, and David Foster, Mr. Catherine McPhee. Um, who are the producers <laughs> on The American Tale? That's why I came here. Okay, um, Don Bluth, Gary Goldman, Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall, Steven Spielberg, among some others.
1: So yeah. Mm, so it is. It's like he, Zemeckis was not in Amblin. Right. Because the thing about Semeckis is like the whole like 80s product of things like, uh, especially like, Spielberg, him, and George Lucas, it's just like we don't remember that they like collaborated on producing things. Maybe I'm wrong about Zemeckis, or maybe it's just the thing that like Back to the Future gets like wrapped up in Spielberg culture. Right, to me. right.
0: Well, okay, so Zemeckis is producing credits in the 1980s. I'm trying to think of like, look at things that he didn't directly like, he was executive producer on the frighteners peter jackson's the frighteners and like that movie is so good <laughs> um tales from the crypt he was an executive producer on the tv series and then also uh, bordello of blood which was um one of the movies i think there were a couple movies oh and also on demon Night. yeah he, so he was like ep on stuff like that um mm-hmm. oh god yeah, remember not, that um... movie the public eye with joe pesci as the crime scene photographer no. Oh god. Okay, so the poster is I've never seen it. The poster almost looks somewhat like campy. It's like this really Oh
1: yes, I recognize this poster, but I don't right? think I ever saw the
0: movie. I never saw the movie either. Um Barbara Hershey also in that movie. Uh so like Zemeckis produced that. Zemeckis produced House on Haunted Hill 1999. Yeah, he has like no 80s 13 production
1: credits. I am completely insane.
0: No, but I don't I I mean it has the ring of truth for me as well. Like that Mm -hmm. seems like the kind of thing that, uh, that he would have done, but instead he just decided to move into the nineties and then the two thousands. His nineties are really kind of sparse, right? He directs. um, Now I'm going to move into his directing credits. IMDB make this easier for me. Um, (laughs) So the nineties is like his greatest mainstream success, which is Forrest Gump, in terms of like whatever prestige. Obviously his greatest mainstream success is Back to the Future. Um but nineteen nineties begins with Death Becomes Her, which we of course love and appreciate right now, but remember at the time was like held up as it wasn't held up as like a bomb or a disappointment, but it was one of those movies where it's like, I guess Meryl can't do comedy, which like obviously obviously she can and she's which great is insane. In movie. But like the 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 reaction to that movie, um Was out of whack. So Death Becomes Mm -hmm. Her 92, Forrest Gump 94, Best Picture winner, massive moneymaker, like changes the culture, whatever. And then Contact in 97, which is another movie that wasn't received as well as it probably should have been and kind of was seen as a Jodie Foster disappointment at the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's his 90s. Three movies. That's it. And then he moves into the 2000s, and like slowly but surely, every film becomes a little bit more of a stunt. Like, What Lies Beneath Mm -hmm. famously films that in between Tom Hanks getting skinny for Castaway. But, like, Castaway, for as good as that movie is, is a stunt. Um, Then it's Polar Express and Beowulf and Christmas Carol, which is, like... Do you dare look into the dead-eyed, soulless, <laughs> like CGI characters that we have created for you?
1: The, the between those three, though, the animation does at least get better. Beowulf is a little bit of a screensaver.
0: I will take your word for it. I will never watch a Christmas Carol. I I don't have I don't have the courage in me to it's do that. It's a
1: decent Christmas
0: Carol movie. That's fine. I can't look at it. I just I would have to go in.
1: Uh, the Polar deprived. Express, however, is a scourge um, <laughs> on this earth. Um, Beowulf is, uh, I mean, kind of cool. Like, I remember watching that movie, I was like, oh, there's definitely, like, a hard R version of this movie where they just are constantly Fucking. cutting away for this PG-13 rating. Um,
0: it just felt like Beowulf
1: was like, hey, wouldn't
0: you like it if this, like, ancient whatever... Norse epic? I don't know where Beowulf comes from. Saxony or something. Like, old,
1: old, old, old Europe, right? Um, Beowulf comes like, post-300 Is it after 300? Yeah, but like, this like you know, type of ancient epic, but yeah. it also has like, l- it's chasing like Lord of the Rings kind of vibes. But like, more, look like, at grunginess. the thick,
0: meaty thighs of these like, ancient <laughs> characters of literature. What if you
1: wanted to fuck Ray Winstone?
0: Right, exactly. That's exactly right. Or just like, or just like, what if you wanted to fuck like, half of the like, classic literature books that you read <laughs> when you were in college or whatever. Like, that's kind of a thing. Um, so, though that sort of trilogy of Uncanny Valley, right? Then, yes. Uh, Twenty twelve is Flight, which is objectively a terrible script that is absolutely salvaged by a Denzel Washington's performance and the Zemeckis's visual filmmaking, which I, as I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, will sometimes just watch the the plane crash scene from Flight just to sort of feel something <laughs> you know what I mean? it is so <laughs> terrifying and exhilarating and like i still every single time when you see that shot of the upside down airplane coming out of the clouds or that moment where uh brian garrity who plays the co-pilot is just screaming just like all i see is houses it's just like it's such a good scene it's so terrifying and it is the film he makes right before The Walk, and it's an interesting template because the because the thing with Flight was, you know, Denzel Washington, great performance, but the mm-hmm. thing with Flight was the rest of the movie's kind of crap, but watch it for this incredibly unbelievable centerpiece set piece that you have to see to believe and will, like, see it on a, as big a screen as possible and yada, yada, yada. And Walk was, like, that times a billion, which is... You have to endure, the, the pitch for this movie essentially was, even from people who liked it, you have to endure everything else about it, an annoying lead character, it takes forever to get to where it's going, whatever,
1: but the- It stars pap- Pepe Le Pew. It <laughs> sure does. stars it sh- Pepe Le Pew in a season one L word wig.
0: I'm just now imagining actual Pepe LePew like bouncing across the wire, like do do
1: do 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 do,
0: and the cat, the poor cat, on the thinks she got away. She's in the other building, and now she's gotta. Anyway, um, endure all of that, get past all of that, because the half an hour or so when he's actually on the wire and when he's doing ze walk. when he's doing zwalk, um, is breathtaking, and it is. I will say. As somebody who has seen this movie on a television, right? Like, I can't remember the first, whether I'd ever actually seen it in theaters. I kind of don't think so, because it was in and out of theaters so quickly. Mm-hmm. But even on television, it's amazing. And, like, everything in your brain is telling you, I know this is fake, because, A, like, I know they couldn't have filmed it up there, because the Twin Towers were gone by then. Um And yet it totally overrides all of those impulses and like it really is breathtaking. But like the getting there is such a challenge. And for me also, and I don't know if this is true of you, I have a really big hurdle with this movie when it comes to what was it all for? In care like in terms of Mm -hmm. the character of Philippe Petit. Like I get that this is breathtaking to look at but like I really have a big hurdle of why this was a necessary thing to do and the movie kind of makes this claim of just like I had to you know it's you know and I love Because it. I had
1: to. Well, I, Oh excuse me excuse me. Because I had to. <laughs> well um, right
0: part of this is this sort of like free solo thing right of you know the mountains there so i have to climb it and i have to you know whatever it's right. kind he, of person he
1: feels like a, a compelling thing i think the movie actually does paint him more as an artist than anything yes. and like this is his like artistic endeavor if you want to consider it that way um i think the movie does a good job of that but like i think it has um other problems notably um uh, just gordon levitt but we can get into that but like in terms of the release and like you have to endure this bad movie for the spectacle of it. It wasn't just like you have to see this last thing. You have to see it on the hugest screen possible. Right. By the way, the movie is also in 3D. Right. IMAX three D. Right.
0: And yeah. you and and to to make it worthwhile the, the people who liked it, I would I'd sent you a link to this article that I still remember from back then that uh, Matt Singer wrote for Screen Crush, which was, like, after the movie had fully bombed, and after it was essentially, like, on its way out of at least IMAX theaters, and, like, soon after out of regular theaters, because, again, this movie made $10 million domestic. It's just, it's, it's Kind
1: of insane.
0: Absolutely cratered. And so... Um, Matt, who really liked the movie, wrote pretty compellingly, I think, about this idea of this sort of quixotic thing of just, like, I went to see this movie that nobody wanted to see. He so he put the graphic in the article is of the, like, the Fandango seat map of, like, pick your seat. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, everything's available in this entire huge IMAX thing because nobody's going to see this movie. um And you know, talked about the the spectacle of seeing the sort of like Capital M movie on this big screen or whatever. And I I I get that. I do, you know, see the appeal and the the thrill and the joy in that and the respect for Zemeckis for doing something like that. But like you do have to create the rest of the movie. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I I, I appreciate
1: the the spectacle of it all. But, I don't know, man. It's so, yeah, it's very, very corny. I would actually say I kind of liked the movie a lot, too. Did you? Um, okay. I did. I liked it certainly more than I thought it would. Um, at least when the movie's not embarrassing. Um... Because there's a lot like it. It's basically like framed like a fable. You mentioned he like starts the movie in the torch of the Statue of Liberty, narrating directly to the audience, like it's um, like it's literally a ride at Disneyland, right? Yes. Um, right. <laughs> it, it feels very much like. Did you ever? Did you go to Universal Studios ever? There's Never. Uh, no. The they had a Twister ride that is, I believe, gone now, uh-huh. and it was like you go in a room. And then there's Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton talking to you on a screen. (laughs) And then you go into another room. That is the ride.
0: I always think of that Simpsons episode where... uh... I think it's when the school gets that windfall of money. It's the Mr. Burns episode, maybe. And they're trying to, everyone wants to know what they would do with the money for the school. And Lisa envisions these like virtual reality, uh, installations that she could use Mm -hmm. to learn. And she imagines like, uh, Genghis Khan sort of like narrating this tour through his exploits.
1: Hello, Lisa. I'm Genghis Khan. You go where I go. Defile what I defile. Eat who I eat. Hello, Lisa.
0: Come with me as I maraud my way through, you know, Greater Asia, and it's <laughs> that—that's sort of what I think of when when I think of the phenomenon that you're describing.
1: Well, but it just like kind of starts the movie off in this really kind of silly way, made all the more silly because Joseph Gordon-Levitt is um, deeply not in control of his French dialect, <laughs> um, which is so funny because one of the things. That, like, they made such a big deal out of is, like,
0: uh Joseph Gordon-Levitt took French courses in college, and he's kind of a Francophile and all this kind of thing. And it's just, like, it's not there on the screen, my friends. Yeah, like- yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, also, knowing how to speak French does not make you right. uh that is not a prerequisite for having a french dialect in english right. which is 99 percent of his dialogue in this right. movie yeah we can get into more in his performance once we're on the other side of the 60 second plot but i feel like he's kind of actively the movie's problem um yeah we'll go deep on joseph gordon levitt because i do have a lot to say there um uh, but i would I- also say too like it feels like this movie would be a lot more exciting up until the actual, uh, high wire act. If it's, it's structured, like it's a heist movie and Zemeckis doesn't treat it like it's a heist movie. Yeah. No, because like the
0: first hour is played as this sort of like, <laughs> like a French farce to the point of, you kept keep expecting to see like a little monkey with a concertina in his hands, like in the corner of the, of the frame <laughs> at some point. Yeah just like wearing a little beret or something it's just like it's it's treating it with that kind of like cartoonish farcicalness and it's just mm-hmm. like I don't know if you know and if again the the strengths of this movie are when it feels like a heist movie and are when it feels like he's got this like little ragtag group with like James Badgedale and like Ben Schwartz wearing the most ridiculous like wig slash mustache <laughs> apparatus ever um but, like, I want to return really quickly to my, like, my central sort of nagging thing, which is, like... And you, you make the point that they the movie sells him as an artist, and it does. And, like, Lord knows, I will fully buy into, like, an art-for-art's-sake thing. Like, give me anything mm-hmm. about a dancer at all, in real life or in fiction, and I am fully invested in just, like, the dance with all capital letters, and just, like, the artistic, you know merit of it and whatnot and even still i'm watching this movie and i'm just like so like you're putting your life in danger and like the lives of everybody who is helping you in danger and everybody who is on the ground kind of in danger because of like that cable falls and like anything from that shit falls, like someone could get like seriously dead and Mm -hmm. all this sort of stuff. And again, within the milieu of like the twin towers, which is this movie is aware of the historical gravity of that, of those buildings. So it's weird then that it asks you to find all of this. So kind of like whimsical or, um, like, kind of heartwarming. Mm -hmm. And it's just, like... And I couldn't get over the hurdle of just, like, why... What is all of this for, if not for this sort of, like, act of aggrandizement? And the movie kind of tries to sell, where, like, he salutes the city, and he salutes his audience. And then at the end, he makes this sort of, like, the movie makes this kind of ludicrous claim that, like, people didn't love the towers before Philippe Petit came around. And all of a sudden, after, now everybody speaks of the, and it's just like, fuck you, kind of. And uh, I don't know. Like, I just have such a, and it's such a pedantic complaint where it's just like, you know, I didn't, think he should be doing it in the first place but like i didn't i've thought that way with man on wire also when i was watching man on wire and i was just like this is all like very interesting and great but also like fuck you for doing this this didn't need to be this didn't need
1: to happen yeah i don't know uh i mean i think man on wire at least makes uh, it, it this movie has a characterization problem because like it feels like it needs to rely on this incredibly charming performer to play this asshole right but at the same time like it doesn't maybe this is where i kind of align with your thoughts like you don't understand the purpose of it and i think it's because we don't really understand the person and man on wire definitely um paints the picture of him as a person as an individual as a character mm-hmm. far better than this movie does
0: yeah well let's let's get through the basics and then through the 60 second plot and we can sort of dive back in because i think it's uh and a conversation worth having for a movie that i still don't think i liked very much but like it's got its moments for sure we are of course talking about Ziwak. Uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis. I will not keep doing this. Zemeckis? It's, too, it's too annoying. Uh, written by Robert Zemeckis and Christopher <laughs> Brown, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ben Kingsley, Charlotte Le bon, James Badgedale, Ben Schwartz, uh, other people, many of whom are French, uh, premiered September 26, <laughs> 2015 at the New York Film Festival, opened the New York Film Festival in September of 2015, and opened days later uh, to a... Just sad. To an audience sad. of dozens. An audience of dozens, indeed. Yeah, like we said, $10 million at the box office. Uh, oof. All right. Uh, Chris, what's the French version of Chris? Christophe. Christophe, oui? uh, would you like to deliver a 60-second plot description of Ziwak? Oui. We. All right, let me pull out my phone. Give you... One minute on the clock, and if you are ready,
1: it begins. Uh, the Walk is a, uh, how you say, biopic about Vélie Petit. He is a uh, street performer. He uh, wants to be a wire actor. So when he... Oh, wire actor. What's an actor? Um uh, He uh, goes to the circus, and Ben Kingsley is there, and he wants him to teach him how to walk on a high wire. And at first he says, No, absolutely not. Get out of my circus. Um, he falls in love with this lady who sings on the street. Um, they, they kind of have a romance, and but he decides when he sees that the World Trade Center towers are being built that he wants to walk on a wire above the t- between the towers, um, in New York City. So they go to New York City. He gets a whole crew of people. They spy on the towers basically, and then he goes on the towers, and then he does. He's uh, he walks on the Ten wire, centers. and uh, then he gets arrested, and uh, is uh, a legend. Toi, that is time well done We. um yeah it's like kind of structured like it's some kind of fable or fairy tale it's very cutesy with the like fourth wall breaking direct address
0: yeah Uh, the shot where like he's he's juggling whatever and like catches the thing in his mouth and then like bites down on it and has to go to the dentist and like whatever it's just like it's so I don't know goofy it's goofy what I thought was interesting because like you said the beginning of the movie starts off on the Statue of Liberty and then later in the movie when he's on the wire and he's sort of crossing over and whatever and they have these close up shots of him I was like wow talk about your all time missed opportunities to have to have the classic uh, freeze frame I bet you're all wondering how I got here (laughs) opening to a movie which would have been like the greatest one of those of all time yeah exactly um because he's already giving that you know ridiculous the voiceover anyway which is oh boy
1: um okay so, so you had seen this before we watched this i had not did you see it in a theater in 3d no i didn't okay i didn't uh was going I was to ask it was in and out was like.
0: so quickly. No, I also well the other thing about seeing it in 3D was a lot of the very early reports, and I think maybe I don't know how they screened it at New York Film Festival, because they don't have an IMAX, obviously, there. Although I they do sometimes use the Lincoln Square Theater, and that does have an IMAX. It's the one mm-hmm. true IMAX in New York City. And they could have screened it there at the very least they could have screened it for press there so i don't know because i didn't go to that press screening but like the big if it was opening night at new york film festival they most certainly had it at alice tully hall which is like a big sort of screen but it's not imax um but a lot of the early or not a lot but like some of the early reports of the film were just like the the high you know the whatever the tower scenes were dazzling and whatever but some people got nauseous and barfed and <laughs> it's just like and so once it gets to that i'm just like well i'm just not gonna do that like i had seen gravity was a couple years before this and i had seen gravity at the imax uh at lincoln square and that's a movie i loved but like i mm-hmm. will say that the first maybe like 10 or 15 minutes of that movie i was genuinely feeling nauseous and like i i i don't ever experience that with movies. They don't ever get, like, motion sickness or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But, like, the extreme sort of, like, uh, unmooring of gravity in in that film... Huh. Um, really fucked with me for like a good 10-15 minutes where I was just like I just did not feel like I had my equilibrium at all and my head was kind of swimming and I was like am I going to have to get up and first of all it's the fucking IMAX so there's no center aisle and I was with uh, a friend of mine who wanted who had gotten seats and we sat like right in the middle and I was just like if I have to get up to go to the bathroom because I'm feeling pukey I'm going to have to like to walk to you're going to have to like traverse this entire long row of people to get out of here, which is why I hate IMAX, but like Mm -hmm. anyway, anyway, I will always sit on the side in an IMAX theater. (laughs) If I have my choice, no matter what kind of a wonky view I have to take of the movie, like, I'm sorry. I just will.
1: You also have to set, well, for like 3D, you kind of have to sit in the very center I and won't. like not move your head and shoulders for two I hours. Will, I will ruin my slightly, visual
0: experience just to sit on an aisle. That's how much I need to sit on an aisle.
1: Right. Um, the other thing, too, like nobody wants to, if people are already having reports of barfing because the 3D is too intense for this movie, but also like, and people say, I don't want to see that. Um, this is also at the time where 3d was dying. Oh yes. Gravity was kind of the last gasp of 3d movies. Yeah. And this feels like the first movie that was like designed for it, that fully died on the vine. Um, Mm -hmm. partly because people didn't want to see 3d movies.
0: Well, I think, yes, I think part of it was you had a truly disastrous few years where 3D was tacked onto every major blockbuster so that studios could like squeeze out extra money out of mm-hmm. ticket buyers. And all of this post-conversion stuff. and And after a while, and it didn't really take that long, I think people started to wise up to the idea of just like, oh... Most of these movies do not give you a whole ton of benefit for seeing them in 3D. A lot of the word was just like, find the 2D screening of this. A lot of reviews me- would mention, do you really need to see this in 3D? No, not really. See it in 2D. It looks better. Mm-hmm. 3D always looked dark. The screen was always darker because you had to wear the glasses and all that kind of thing. And the benefits of it, more often than not, were, were little, were really slim. And so the bloom fell off of the 3D rose pretty quickly. And Mm -hmm. by 2015, you're absolutely right. By 2015, this idea of, oh, you got to see it
1: in IMAX 3D, like people weren't buying it anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially for, it's, like, the very conceit of why this sequence is so tense and, like, why you're kind of on your the edge of your seat the whole time is because, like, you can't imagine, like, having that, like, view. Of, nobody among us would sign up for that to, like, stare down thousands of feet uh, right. in the air while you're standing on a wire. And if the movie is simulating that, like, of course nobody wants to sign up for that. It's right. not, like... right. Why don't, why don't you pay extra money to feel,
0: you know, utterly terrified and, and I guess, but I guess, I mean, on the other hand, like, what else is a horror movie but paying money to be
1: terrified? So it's maybe different for some though. People, like yeah. I, as somebody who, um, that was, who does have a fear of heights, I was one of those people that was like, absolutely not <laughs> yeah. with watching this movie in 3D. Um, have you that ever went on your, said, on
0: your visits to New York City, do you do the
1: uh, the tall building touristy stuff? I never have. I mean, not since I was a kid, um, and maybe just, like, once or twice. Yeah. I've like, never... the Empire State Building is different, though, because it's all caged in, it's it's packed with people, which, like, thinking of being in a packed space with other people right uh-huh. now automatically is making me sweat. Of course. Um, of course. <laughs> Uh, but it's like it's it's very stable, you know. Like it, it, there's not really a fear. <laughs> it's very like, stable.
0: I like that. It just like don't worry, nothing moves worry, when you're up there.
1: <laughs> nothing like sways. I mean, you do because it's very windy. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. Oh, it's it's never held an appeal for me, and I'm sure if I ever got up there and saw the view, I would be very impressed as whatever. And like, but like Empire State Building, top of the rock. Statue of Liberty, like any of these things where it's just like one of the, you know, it's just like, I'm fine on Mother Earth. Like, honestly, I'm fine. I one time got invited onto a little boat tour of around the city and like we went right up to the base of the statue of liberty and that was really lovely that's about as much as i need touristy wise like i don't i just i don't know i don't have that need to just like get to the top of the tallest building which always feels like this kind of like primal human just sort of like you know why do we climb Mount everest because it's there like that kind of mm-hmm. thing it's just like eh, who needs it oh, anyway no.
1: Anyway, that that was my talking about the that walk. Aside, I was actually kind of rather impressed with the visual effects even though there's like yes, there's a veneer to it that like you never even though like the like fear trigger and like fear of heights is like that button is being slammed for the whole last half hour of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um it never quite looks real, but like the amount of environment that they create and they're obviously matching the city to the best that they can it is still pretty impressive
0: yes i thought no i think i think that's absolutely right i think the visuals in that last 35 or so minutes of the film are really something are like really Something to see. They make you invested in this thing that up until that point I didn't think I was very much invested in. I, you know, even on the second time of watching it, I was just like, I know what's coming. I get whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just like, blah, blah, blah. And yet, like, I'm, you know, wrapped in attention at it, at uh, watching it even again. So it does what it needs to do. It's not quite at the level of of what Flight does in its Mm -hmm. big scene to me, but it does the work. It really truly does. Yeah. My thing is I'm putting off Joseph Gordon-Levitt for like one more little bit <laughs> in the first hour of this movie as like the team is getting put together and they start to make plans and and
1: all this kind of stuff. Were you invested in this team? Not in the least. You can't really tell them apart. I can't even remember his love interest character name. Um
0: Celine? I, I don't know. Like I just assume it's just like it's like nobody Francoise? there is no characters like, in
1: this movie besides Annie. her name. Philippe is Petit. Everybody yeah. else just kinda of blurs together to the point where even like his mentor, who's played by Ben Kingsley, so you think that he's gonna have some like impact on the movie because it's Ben fucking Kingsley. He doesn't doesn't do anything. Here's the
0: thing with Ben Kingsley. Here is what I will advance about Ben Kingsley, which is fantastic actor. Right? Like uh, like I yes. legitimately fantastic actor. Can't take that away from him. He's been amazing in so many movies, uh Gandhi, Bugsy, Schindler's List, Sneakers for God's sake, he's so good. His, speaking of cracked out accents, but like honestly, watch Sneakers for what kind of weird Bronx <laughs> by way of uh, I don't even know. Uh, he's he's doing in sneakers opposite Robert Redford. It's really amazing. But I think in the last, let's say, decade, after House of Sand and Fog, which is another really great performance, he sort of, and not always, but he, I'm looking through his filmography now, but it's stuff like Shutter Island and... Mm-hmm, which he's good um, in.
1: Hugo, he's great in.
0: Sure. But all of those roles... Even though they're not the same roles, like his function in these movies starts to bleed together. Where it's just like he is just the um, the mentor, the the expertise, the the doctor, the caretaker, the whatever. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just mm-hmm. like he's always, whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, he's just the sage. In one way yeah. or another, which is why certain things like Iron Man three, I think, are so fascinating. Which is a movie that like really takes what you think you're going to get out of uh, Ben Kingsley, even in like a villain role, and like totally pulls the rug out from under you. And I think it's so delightful and whatever. But uh, I, I just, I think by the time I get to the walk, I'm just like, well, I'll you know, this is. I've seen this kind of thing from him before, right? It's it's maybe all Maybe also expensive. maybe
1: doesn't need to be 2 hours. No, it sure does. Like when all of those things are not really working for it.
0: Yes. Um I I think the stuff with the team should have been better and more exciting. I like James Batchelder a lot. I love Ben Schwartz. I think he's so funny. And like do more with that. Do more with um that handsome uh French man who played his, like, friend who, like, definitely has more chemistry, sexual or otherwise, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt <laughs> than Charlotte <laughs> Le bon does. Charlotte Le Bon, who, like, lovely woman and, you know, probably a great person. But, like, I've only seen her in two movies, which is This and 100 Foot Journey. And every single time, I'm just like, I would rather be watching Rachel Vice. Like, she looks <laughs> so much like Rachel Vice, And it's just, like, just... Find like dig into your pockets,
1: fellas. Like find a way to cast Rachel Vice. I don't know. Um, I don't want Rachel Vice saddled with this movie. No, um, of course not. I know. And this like nothing role of a love interest that we're not at all invested in their relationship whatsoever. And the second that the walk ends, they break up. Oh yes, which is like fidelity Why to real life. Why even have a course. love story in this? And it's
0: like break up so like non ceremoniously. Where all of a sudden it's just like cut to her at the cab, being like, "Guess I'm going back to France." <laughs> yeah and it's because it really happened in real life but also in real life he cheated on her and like they didn't really put that in the movie yeah he's a
1: bastard (laughs) this is where we can maybe switch over to joseph gordon levitt talk a little bit because we'll talk about the ways that he is bad but i also think he is very very miscast in this movie especially i think the movie's trying to what the movie's trying to do is take this really unlikable guy who's like a bastard and you know not you know at all he's an egomaniac team he's of a people.
0: lunatic he's a whatever there's a reason democracy. why you
1: you don't get why this is so, like why he felt compelled to do this because he's someone who also doesn't explain himself ever yeah. Um. and casting Joseph Gordon Levitt and like the Joseph Gordon Levitt smile is like a misunderstanding like this it feels dishonest for the character to have somebody who is, like, seen at least as inherently likable. And, like, he plays it like, I'm super charming and all yeah. of this. And it's so um, out of sync with what the character is actually doing yes, that it yes. makes him less likable. Um, yes. Does that make I, any sense?
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a moment um, before... It's like right before they get to the day of doing the walk and, uh, Annie, he's like, whatever, it's late at night and he can't sleep and he's very irritable and whatever. And she's just like, you know, the team needs to know that you appreciate what they're doing. You know, they're, they've put their lives on hold and all this. Sort of blah, blah, blah. And he just goes, what do you want me to go in there and say thank you? And it's just like, yes. <laughs> yeah. You could. Like, that's definitely yeah. <laughs> an option. You could go say thank you, you fucking asshole. Like, it's just, there's so much of that into it
1: where it's just like...
0: Uh, I, why? I just
1: want that character to be the jerk that he is so right. the movie can be more honest about it. And, like, I think there's a difference between charisma and being charming. And the movie asks him to be charming when he's not that charismatic. And, like, you can have this lead character who's kind of an asshole, and if you just have a charismatic performer, like, this is the same damn year as the Steve Jobs movie, that, like, Michael Fassbender is not charming in that movie, but he's compelling to watch. But, Steve
0: Jobs also is not asking you, eventually, to I mean, even that ending I know is bad, but like, even with that ending, Steve Jobs is not asking you to sort of take a whimsical flight of fancy with its lead character the way that The Walk ultimately does. So I guess I do understand the impulse of Zemeckis wanting to characterize him that way. I do agree with you that it doesn't work in practice. And I think mm-hmm. if it was, if he was more of the just like, oh, he's just like a full bastard and then he does this whatever, I probably would have been even more vociferously out on this movie, where it's just like, not again that I have to watch another movie about
1: like a white male asshole succeeding
0: through his... No, I, I
1: agree with that. I would just think it would be con- a consistent um, portraiture yes. of who this man is.
0: I want to sort of take us on a little garden walk through Joseph Gordon-Levitt's career. Because here is my deep secret, which is that I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And I know why I people don't. I don't. I know. And I get it. But like, I find his career really fascinating. And... I find his failures almost even more fascinating because it's this weird kind of like if Joseph Gordon Levitt were an actress, he would be Anne Hathaway. And I love that. I love that about him. <laughs> okay, right? go on.
1: I'm fascinated by this.
0: I also am fascinated by actors who, and DiCaprio went through this for a long time, where they. They, their ambitions are often thwarted by the fact that they look like a little boy. And Joseph Gordon Levitt, I think a lot of this time in his late career, really just runs into the brick wall of just like, honey, I'd love for you to be able to do this, but you look like you're 17 still. So, like, I don't know. And so that's what, and I think that what brings is what brings on a lot of uh, people sort of like, disliking him or is it just like what is this fucking twerp doing right so okay young this and i also love actors or actresses whose careers come in these very definable stages drew barrymore is another actress like this so child career joseph gordon levitt he's in a river runs through it he's in angels in the outfield of course um, he's in that movie. Third Rock the, from the Sun. Right. Uh, it's like six seasons of Third Rock from the Sun. He sort of grows up on that show. He's in that movie, The Juror, where I'm pretty sure he's Demi Moore's son in The Juror, who is like being threatened by mobster Alec Baldwin, which like, <laughs> come on. Um, and then he, after Third Rock from the Sun, he sort of transitions into this very brief kind of like, Teen star phase where he's in Halloween H two O. He's in Ten Things I Hate About You. He's sort of the male lead in Ten Things I Hate About You. And if you go back and watch this movie now, it's such a despicable "quote unquote" nice guy character.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: and whatever, like Ten Things I Hate About You is based on the Taming of the shoe, like blame Shakespeare, all this sort of stuff, right? But like, it's not when you go back. You go back and you're just like, wow, we were really asked to like invest in this like. Again, twer- twerpy little, like, self conscious artsy nerd kid who, like, expects Larissa Aleniak to, like, have sex with him because he's a nice boy. And it's just like, ugh, no, like, Heath Ledger's character is much preferable in that movie. And I know that, like, they're not in competition, but whatever. Um, <laughs> then I would say that the next phase of his career begins in 2004 with Mysterious Skin and that's the movie that like really changes the perception on him and sort of starts him on this really really interesting I would say. He's also in that movie Latter Days in 2003 where he's like mm-hmm. he's a supporting character. He's one of the like like uh more obedient Mormons who is like a jerk to the gay Mormon and if you are gay and of a particular age you definitely saw this movie because it was like just mainstream enough that you heard about it, but also, like, there are handsome boys fucking, and we like that about a movie. Um, <laughs> so you saw Latter Days, I imagine. Yes,
1: uh, I have not seen Latter Days, <gasps> Chris. It's not too late. I have seen Mysterious Skin though. Mysterious Skin Joseph is amazing. Gordon Levitt is great. Greg
0: Araki directed Mysterious Skin. It's a real, it's a real uh, level up in terms of performance what is being asked of him in this performance. He's really good. He's very um he's he uses that boyishness again to his advantage because a lot of the deal with this character in Mysterious Skin is he's very boyish looking, but he is playing above his age both within the character and also like as an actor so Mm -hmm. like it's it's really compelling then right after that he does brick which is the ryan johnson sort of uh breakthrough movie which is very particular it's high school noir in the most like literal way possible but i think fucking love that movie. And I fucking love his performance in that movie. And I think that's one of the, to borrow a term from uh, our podcasting friend Griffin Newman, Rosetta Stones, of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's career, which is, like, if you are on board with what he's doing in Brick, I think you're on board with a lot of other things that he does later in his career that maybe not everybody likes. Mm. Agree or disagree? I still have to see Brick. (gasps) Chris, I'm gonna hound you to see Brick. You will maybe hate it, but like it's, I fucking love it so much. Okay, I mean I like Ryan Johnson. So what's that? I like Ryan Johnson, but so. I think even the people who now like Ryan Johnson are also the people who are shitting on Brick. So we'll see. <laughs> shitting on Brick. Um, he does a movie in 2007 called The Lookout, directed by Scott Frank, who is more most often a screenwriter. He did the big Elmore Leonard adaptations. He did uh, he wrote the script for Get Shorty. He wrote the script for Out of Sight. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there was one other thing. I was looking this up earlier. Where it's just uh, like Stop
1: Loss. He's in Stop Loss.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm going down the, the scott oh
1: frank, okay oh uh, you're sc- talking about scott frank Never um mind.
0: for just because uh one there was a movie there he co-wrote the script for malice but that is that's more of a Sorkin anything oh little man tate i was like oh he wrote the script for little man tate that's really cute anyway interesting the lookout's a really interesting movie Gor- joseph gordon levitt's the lead in that matthew good is also in that movie and is like unrecognizable as this like um sort of like scummy like drug dealer maybe something is he's he's, he's sure. scumbum anyway yeah stop loss which is a movie we talked about before in the context of channing tatum um he's one of the three main characters it's him and ryan Philippi and channing tatum and kimberly pierce directed that one it's really good he's in miracle at st anna a spikely movie that i've still never seen and i didn't realize it bombed that was and
1: it. it got really bad reviews
0: that was, that's a movie that we could end up doing on this podcast. In and out of theaters quickly. Yeah. Absolutely. Cause I remember really thinking that like, oh, it's Spike Lee, but a World War II movie, like two great, two great tastes that maybe taste great together. And apparently for the American public, it didn't. Um, and then I think you get to the, then you get to the next sort of level of his career, which is 2009 with 500 days of summer. And then it becomes Joseph Gordon Levitt, charming leading man. And mm-hmm. it's that he's obviously not the lead in inception, but like featured supporting character, sort of right hand man to DiCaprio. Uh, I think he's very charming in that fifty fifty, which is his second Golden Globe nomination. He's only two Golden Globe nominations are for films with the digits five and zero in the title, Days into <laughs> summer and fifty fifty. Um, work on that. just <laughs> Joseph for the next one, uh, if you want. Um, I remember really liking fifty fifty. Yeah, fifty fifty is great. Like, fifty fifty is genuinely so much more... You think it's gonna be this, like, dumb Seth Rogen uh, comedy, right? And it's so mm-hmm. much more affecting than you think it's going to be. Uh, Angelica, Angelica Houston, really is great. great. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, he's in Premium Rush. He does The Dark Knight Rises, obviously, which is like, it's annoying, but it's not his fault that it's annoying that at the end of the movie right. they make him say that his middle name is Robin. Christ almighty. Um... Premium Rush which is a movie a lot of people really like and I don't so much. Um it's fine, it's whatever. Fast Bicycle Messenger movie. <laughs> Michael Shannon doing one of his like customary like eyeballs fully outside of his skull kind of performances and sure, great. He does Looper in 2012 with Bruce Willis where he's like CGI'd to look like young Bruce Willis. It is so odd to look at. It's another Ryan Johnson movie, but that's the Ryan Johnson movie where everybody was like, ooh, Ryan Johnson. Because like, after The Brothers Bloom, a movie that I also love, um, everybody was kind of out on Ryan Johnson, and Looper, I think, brought people back. Uh, he's in Lincoln, kind of the worst part of Lincoln, but it's not his fault either. That's just not a character we really needed to focus on in Lincoln, playing Lincoln's son. And then Don John, he's Steps behind the director chair, and I think Don John is the moment where it's just like,
1: "Are we really all in on this Joseph Gordon-Levitt thing?" Because he directs the movie, he writes, He writes, it, gets an
0: Independent Spirit nomination for screenplay for the movie. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't. Movie. I don't hate it. I will. This say. This might
1: be a movie that we should save the conversation to actually like maybe do an episode on it. Yes, because but... there was definitely awards buzz for sure. Well, and it's um. I mean, I think it handled the subject well, but I'd be kind of fascinated to see uh-huh. this movie again uh-huh. under, you know, almost a decade later, how the conversation has uh, shifted and how yep. this movie would be treated. Agreed.
0: Um, it's and it's a it is also a movie where he really does a voice, like he puts yeah. on a real voice, and like that maybe kicks off the next phase, which is. Joseph Gordon-Levitt decides to play capital C characters, and it's The Walk, where he plays the French accent in The Walk. It's Snowden, where again, he just decides that we can't make a movie about Edward Snowden unless we really go like six feet deep on this accent of his and really make it sound so much like him. And it's just like, it works. He does sound exactly like him, but it's like that Maya Rudolph gift to what end? It's just like, to what end? (laughs) do like why why was that important and now all of a sudden all i can think of is you doing this like very elaborate accent and it's like it that's not the important part of that movie whatsoever and that's really the last major film he's been in that was 4 years ago by now he's supposed to be in the trial of the chicago 7 which is the new aaron sorkin movie that is coming to i want to say netflix
1: netflix just bought it from paramount
0: thank God, because I want to see a movie. <laughs> and that, like, I will always <laughs> sign up to watch an Aaron Sorkin movie, good or bad. So, um, although, God, Aaron Sorkin and Joseph Gordon-Levitt together, like...
1: Oh, this cast, <laughs> this cast, um, I'm doing the Bob the Drag Queen Peppermint X over <laughs> my mouth, not the fracking. Read it, uh, read it
0: for us. Oh my god, it
1: is a cast. Oh boy. Um, I mean, there's there's some great people in sure, this cast, yes. But, like, I'm not, I, I don't know how high I'm gonna be jumping to watch this, um, uh joseph gordon levitt eddie redmayne sasha baron cohen that's that's basically the thing of like if you put those three people in a movie it's probably not something you would watch but um, but jeremy strong
0: john Carroll lynch frank langella mark rylance michael keaton uh, maybe I'm I'm william hurt i'm maybe in i maybe i'm in god not a woman in sight though huh yep Not, Caitlin Fitzgerald is like 25th lead (laughs) as I'm looking at this on Wikipedia. You fucking demented psycho, Aaron Sorkin. You couldn't have written in one woman. That's wild.
1: All right. Yep. (laughs) Anyway. So so Joseph Gordon-Levitt has like gone away. You know, we can maybe guess that he is coming back very soon, but like, I don't know, man. Like I never kind of... What's the thing you've liked him most in? Probably 50-50. Yeah.
0: So you and those Golden Globe voters were on the same page that year? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. I mean, he's the least... The thing about Don John is he's the least interesting thing about that movie, like his performance. Yes. But um, Julianne Moore and Scarlett Johansson are great. Yes. Agreed. Also I just kind I feel of like he's Danza. always selling himself as charming rather than actually being charming in a lot of things. The, I think five hundred days like, of summer Emperor's really clothes, like
0: dug a grave for him in terms of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the like whole uh, my thing was like, see, I told you, I told you. Um, was when because like. Uh, I don't think that it's still like in the ether, but remember when they announced Guys and Dolls as a remake? And I think it was him and Channing Tatum. And it was like, yes, put him in a musical. He can sing so well. Do you remember the Lady Gaga Christmas special with the Muppets? Yes, I watched it. I did not. I decidedly did not. He came on for a song with her, which, why? Why? Um, And he's not a good singer. I mean, he's an actor. He's not, you know, he's, you know, he's not a singer. But like, he was also being sold to us as, like, this guy could be in a musical. But um, I think that's part
0: of his skill is that he makes you believe he would be good in a musical. He fools you in that way. I think that's, I do think that is his thing is he's, he really does not feel like, he does not seem to think like there is any kind of role that he can't do. And it's, and I don't think it's a, He's not lazy about it. He will work at it. He won't just sort of just like lazily take a role. Like he will, to a fault, a lot of times dig into a role and really like work it and work at it and bring the acting, you know, all his acting talent to bear on it and whatever. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes that gets gets you brick, which I think is, that's definitely a character that you really bore into and you, you know, make sure that everything, that's another one where like the, his vocal patterns are very particular in that movie and whatever. And it sometimes it works that way. And then sometimes it's, you know, something like Snowden or The Walk where it's a distraction and it is, Mm -hmm. you know,
1: un- it's it it's makes unavoidably the movie so silly and like yeah. I get that it's supposed to like this uh, Zemeckis's take on this material is very like lighthearted and like a fable, which I I get the idea of trying to distinguish yourself somewhat from the like seriousness and the gravitas of Man on Wire, right? But it's just so goofy. Um,
0: yes, it's really hard to it's really hard to
1: get past. The goofiness of it. You're totally... You're not wrong. And, like, just like we were saying the, um... Like, when The Walk came out, we audiences were tiring with 3D. I think you could probably make the same case for Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Um, So it's... It's just another one of those things that the audience decidedly were like, we do not want this. And that's why the movie bombed. I want to see...
0: Five Hundred Days of Summer again. Maybe that'll be one of the things I watch Ooh. while I'm still in quarantine. I want to see if if I still like it. I did like it a lot when it first came out, and then the backlash hit that movie hard. Or I remember that like Zoe Deschanel was at the like center of this hurricane of like manic pixie dream girl. We hate her. Blah 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 blah, and and she was able to emerge from that and. I still really like, I ended up really liking her on New Girl and all this sort of stuff. So it's just like, I want to see if I go back into 500 Days of Summer and it's A, as good as I liked it the first time, or B, as bad as its detractors sort of now have placed, you know, that's the box that they've placed it in, which is this sort I of like that movie- garden
1: state box. Like It's kind of built into the movie, right? That it ultimately yeah. critiques its lead character and his like outlook on women and life and whatever. Yeah. But I don't think it does it as uh, rigorously as the movie thinks it does.
0: No, it ultimately characterizes Summer as, oh, she's, she's more complicated than you think. She's not this idealized figure, yes. But the complication is just like, she's sad. And it's just like, oh, yeah. that's interesting. How, wh- what, how, and why is she sad? And it's just like, oh, she's sad. She's just like, she's just sad. And like, it's just it. And mm-hmm. it's just like, do we want to maybe explore that in like a very character based way? You have this very talented actress playing her. And it's just like, no, she's sad. It also has one of my most, even when I first saw it and liked it, uh, one of my most hated endings of all time, which is Minka Kelly shows up and as his sort of like, the, you know, the girl he's going to move on with. And of course she introduces herself and her name is Autumn and then the credits roll and I was so angry. Just angry. Dumb. Dumb. Stupid. stupid. Don't do that. Don't do that. Women are seasons. <laughs> also, it's just like uh, uh, like I get like your next girlfriend's going to be winter, fine, but like what's your next one? How do you close that loop? There is nobody named Spring. There just isn't. I'm sorry. There's just like, I'm, that's just unsustainable. <laughs> that is an unsustainable quirk. You dumb, dumb decision. Um, but like, so I want to see that again. I want to see where I come down on it. Maybe I'll hate it as much as everybody else seems to. Um, but like, there are parts of that movie that I find very charming. I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt singing Uh, here comes your man at karaoke and that movie is very charming. And I will be surprised if I still don't feel that way watching it again. Um, I also really like him in Inception. I know that's not like
1: an actor's movie, but like, uh, I gotta tell you, I rewatched Inception recently because, uh, I thought, you know, maybe we would see Tenet. Um, never gonna see Tenet. Um, I'm never going back to a theater until, yeah, whatever. Anyway, I I I rewatched Inception Talk about a goofy movie. Um don't you mas- don't you blaspheme inception in front of me. I'd really like No, inception. I mean I like inception a lot, but like for whatever reason this rewatch I was like all of this logic is so silly. Of course like, the it conceit is. Of this movie is very silly. Um, it's a
0: ride. Slide down the levels. It's it's, it's a it's a good time. But everybody in that thinks
1: in that movie. I'm not like that... ragging on the movie. It's just very silly. No, I,
0: I you're not wrong. Everybody in that cast, though, even Ellen Page, who gets shit on for that movie, um, everybody in that cast is really charismatic. And I think a lot of that movie doesn't work if that cast isn't, like, instantly charismatic. And, like, he does a really good job of playing the foil, the sort of just, like, DiCaprio's character will do something really kind of, like, extra and out there, and they'll take a beat. And, like, there's Joseph Gordon-Levitt being, like, He does that sometimes. Just like, oh, oh, you met Mrs. Whatever. Like, you met his wife. And like, and it's just like he has a way of delivering exposition in that movie that I find um, very charming. I know I keep saying charming, which is like the thing that you do not okay. feel that way about him. I'm like, fine. I get it. Well, we because
1: it's just like uh, the whole uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt aura is about like projecting with a neon sign that he whacks you in the head with charming. But I don't think he does that in that
0: movie. I think it's a very easy charm in Inception. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> you keep saying sure. And the <laughs> the translation in of you saying sure is just is like wrong. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine we disagree (laughs) i I did not expect us to agree on the subject of joseph gordon Levitt. that is very much a guy i like and a guy you don't and like that yes that makes sense to me
1: yeah um (laughs) should we talk a little bit about zemeckis we recently did marwin um sure did at the beginning of the year yeah lord what is time i think
0: it was in the i think it was in december but like who honestly knows
1: Zemeckis is like strangely always I mean he's one of those directors that like will always be in the conversation yes from the jump yes I was expecting I mean there are moments in this movie that are embarrassing I was expecting like a Marwin level of dislike um, for this movie and I kind of wasn't like I maybe like this movie more than anything that he's done since Castaway. wow yeah, I mean, there's not, not a lot of good movies in there. I'm um, not very. Allied with is yet. good, but kind of boring. What's that? I said Allied is good, but it's kind of boring. Allied is very boring. Very like Marwin is a um, catastrophe. Allied
0: is so much more boring than it than it has any right to be. Like with those stars and with that concept, I'm just. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was furious at it. Um. Yeah, I mean, so between Castaway and The Walk, though, you are really again. The trilogy of Uncanny Valley and Flight is what you're saying. So yeah,
1: I suppose that's true.
0: Yeah, Zemeckis is a really interesting. His highlights are such highlights. Like Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Romancing the Stone is so good. Like it's just Romancing the Stone
1: is hot.
0: Yes. Oh, the like, hottest movie ever. <laughs> the Kathleen Turner, Michael Douglas era is such an underrated mini-era in American filmmaking. They're just like, they're just fantastic together. Death Becomes Her, I fucking love. Although, I will say, Louis Fertel was the one who pointed this out to me uh, first, and I can't deny it. Which is, once, once they both take the thing and you get past the scene where they're both, you know, they kill each other and, you know, Streep throws the javelin through the hole in Goldie Hawn's stomach and all of that. Like, once they get past that set piece, the movie does kind of crawl to get to the ending.
1: and that's, Some type of conclusion. Yes. Like, that it's is undeniable. It's still really visually interesting, though. Like, it's yes. one of his more visually interesting movies because, like, still at the end of the movie you have, like, um... Isabella Rossellini going, like, full mad Madwoman. Yep. You have the two of them on the roof of that building looking like gargoyles. Isabella
0: Rossellini in Death Becomes Her to the tweenage person that I was at the time. I probably didn't see this. I obviously didn't see that movie in theaters. But, like, I don't think it was too far later that I saw Death Becomes Her. I was probably 13 years old
1: or whatever. I would have seen it immediately after.
0: Yeah. And, <laughs> The sort of draped jewel top that she's wearing that, like, somehow miraculously doesn't show any nipple whatsoever, but, like, (laughs) clearly her breasts are just, like, on front street, just red, was so fascinating to me as a kid (laughs) where i was just like it's one of those things where it's just like i knew i shouldn't be staring at it even with you know the remove of like a screen or whatever right like i knew that that's not a thing that i should be looking at and i knew that it's just like too sexy for me at that age but also i was so fascinated by just like what am i looking at here and like what am i seeing and not seeing and of course there's there's the jewel so like the, there's you know reflection and shine and all of this sort of stuff and i was just like it truly does defy many laws of physics it's just what you're looking at at that and it's so perfect for that character of course who like is all of that as can't well i can't imagine it's comfortable no not at all absolutely not at all like good lord put on a nice comfy turtleneck sweater or something like that i don't know
1: I mean, um, if you're going to live forever, why does well be well, naked? And also,
0: if you're going to be a living embodiment, like a walking billboard for your, you know, the service you provide, like, that's what you would do, I
1: suppose. It's just, like, put that right out there. I love Death Becomes Her So Much. Very formative movie for yours, truly. Liesl von Rumen is the first drag queen I've ever seen. Also, um, the first time... I ever
0: there's a line that references Greta Garbo in that movie where she talks about the other clients that she's that uh she's had and what they do eventually to just sort of like, uh go away from the public eye so that nobody gets suspicious that they're living forever. And she's just like, one of my clients simply said she wanted to be alone. And I was like, I, I, I think I asked somebody who I was watching this was, was like, what does that mean? And they said, oh, it's about Greta Garbo. And so I like looked up. And like, that's how I like found out who Greta Garbo was and that whole kind of thing.
1: Amazing. Yeah.
0: Learning things from Robert Zemeckis movies.
1: So, yeah. Zemeckis, they pushed his Witches remake yeah. back. Could be very uh, curious about that. Speaking oh, the of... The original Witches is on um, Netflix. Netflix right now. Yeah, it is. I know watch that today.
0: Oh, boy. Um, the other Talk thing... about formative movies. The My favorite Zemeckis movie, though, I will probably say, is Contact. Maybe not his best movie. That is also a movie that, like, is a long... <laughs> How long is Contact? Contact is one of those movies where I, I think always... It's a two and a half hour movie. It's a two and a half hour movie. In my head, I always think, and it's because the trailer was this, uh, I always think it starts with her in the middle of the desert uh, uh, satellite dish field. Where she's listening to the headphones, and mm-hmm. she starts. She hears the the little blip or whatever, and that's what starts. And I, for the longest time, even after I had seen the movie once or maybe even twice, in my head, I was just like, "Oh yeah, that's that movie that begins with her out in the desert among the like, exactly. just That happens like forty minutes into the movie. There's so much movie that happens before that. It's all her. First of all, it's like young her with Jenna Malone, and then mm-hmm. it's like her early days working in, uh, where the hell are they in the Caribbean working on, um, wherever their office is down there. And she runs afoul of Tom Scarrett and she gets fired and she meets like hippie priest, Matthew McConaughey. And like that whole fucking thing. And it takes forever to get to the part. But like, then once you get to the part where she's, she hears the signal, that movie then like takes off like a shot. And mm-hmm. it's, what, Which is what makes it such a perfect cable television movie. Because cable TV movies, you, you never catch at the, the beginning. And so you almost always catch them in progress. And with Contact, you're always going to probably miss that first part of the movie, and it's totally fine. Like, you can catch that movie in midstream, and you are maybe better off for it. It's so good. And you will absolutely stick around to the very end because the end has that amazing congressional scene where uh, the judge from A Few Good Men asks her if she's really asking them if they want to take this all on faith. And it's so good. I love Contact so
1: much. If not Death Becomes Her, I would say probably my favorite Zemeckis is What Lies Beneath. It's a perfect horror movie. It is. It's very good. It's more of what I wish Zemeckis did... Because it's like, it's very, um, like, there's a lot of really cool visual effects stuff in the movie, but it's like, very simple compa- concept, um. Yes. And it's just very well done, like, and you can tell that it's the movie he made in a break during Castaway. Yeah. Um, because it's like, it's not, like, overcomplicated, like, the techno-, the technology stuff that goes into it is very low-key. Whereas, like, it feels like he's just playing with a toy box anymore, you know?
0: I'm really, I'm of such two minds on directors like Zemeckis because we see this with so many of these kind of great directors who have the kinds of success that allow them to make the kinds of movies that they want. And they really have so little sort of like holding them back. And it's less so with people like Spielberg and Scorsese, who I think. We probably sh- probably should give them more credit for still telling stories more often than not. Even though they mm-hmm. bring these, you know, technological advancements, and obviously they're playing with these huge budgets and whatnot, but they're still telling stories. And I think you get directors like Zemeckis and Peter Jackson and James Cameron, and I'm trying to think of like. Even, I think at this point, kind of Ang Lee, although Ang Lee's so unpredictable, mm-hmm. you never really know. He still will, you know, pull in his back pocket and pull a lust caution out there or whatever. But these directors, these directors who will reach a certain point and decide that, like, the thing that I'm going to get really into now is pushing the medium forward and, and specifically the like technological limits of how we film and present movies and that's what they're going to do and all of their movies are going to be about sort of pushing this envelope forward and on one level i'm like good that's ultimately going to end up filtering down into all the other filmmakers and like these advancements will eventually like make everything better slash more interesting give everybody a bigger wider sandbox to play in and like that's all very good But I don't get any enjoyment out of watching them do it. I don't get the enjoyment out of Avatar or Mm -hmm. Billy Lynn's uh, long halftime walk or The Walk or, you know what I mean? Or the, the, the Battle of the Five Armies or all this kind of stuff. And it's just like happy that you're all working with, like, frame rate and, you know, digital filmmaking in whatever way. And cool, but ultimately, I want to watch a story. I want to watch a good story yeah. being told. And I know people will be or like, like Avatar's is a these story. Tools. But,
1: like, yeah, well, and also, I think Avatar is like one of those examples that actually does kind of use it to a real narrative effect. But it's such um, a bad story. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But, sure. Um, I should rewatch Avatar. I will not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah to like talk about visual effects a little bit this year this was the thing that kept the walk in any type of oscar conversation um for a long time um because it made the uh visual effects shortlist and it didn't eventually get nominated but to your point about um just like you want to see it these visual effects serving a story in a really interesting way this is the really cool year that ex machina won visual effects so satisfying so satisfying. opposite huge things like fury road the martian force awakens uh not the fracking simple, the revenant <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh i it's funny because you mentioned that the walk reminded me that the walk didn't get a visual effects nomination and my initial reaction was just like well come on like as bad as the movie was it should have and then you look at that set of nominees and i guess like i mean the martians not exactly like pushing the envelope or anything like that right but like ex machina fury road force awakens and like i'll even give it to the revenant like it's tough to the bear. It's tough to yeah, sure. Yeah. It's tough to argue with that field. It's tough to be like, well but, the, for, a but, movie but that the walk. for a movie came and gone yeah.
1: from theaters. Exactly. Exactly.
0: 2015 Oscars are a real bag and a half, aren't they? It's just like it's so it's fascinating on multiple levels. It's fascinating that Mad Max Fury Road it's still fascinating to me that Mad Max Fury Road did as well as it did that whole award season like mm-hmm. not that it doesn't deserve it because it truly does but like what a story and the fact that that oscars went from fury road winning everything to then the revenant winning a couple of the really key like mid-ceremony ones like cinematography and ultimately director and then spotlight just like yanking it away bookended the at ceremony the uh right first and last and so satisfyingly so. Like honestly, I was just like, I, I fucking love Spotlight. Um, but that was also the year of the all-white uh, acting nominees, and like, and in these really kind of bizarre ways, where it's like Idris Elba gets nominated for everything but supporting actor, and like Michael B. Jordan gives such a universally acclaimed performance in Creed in a wildly weak Best Actor year and doesn't mm-hmm. get nominated even though Stallone does. Yeah, this
1: best actor lineup blows. There's
0: so much of this of this Oscar year that is bizarre in like good and terrible ways. And it's and you know, uh the best song category that year is the year that that uh, uh Sam Smith wins for the Bad Bond song from the Bad, bad Bond <laughs> movie. <laughs> like it's just uh across the board so many wild things Morricone wins original score for The Hateful Eight, a movie that I really despise. Mm-hmm. Um, the Amy Winehouse documentary wins Best Documentary, which was... Uh, okay, so, all right. This is a good segue. Because the Amy documentary was a movie in a strong year for documentaries. That was the year of The Look of Silence, the uh, Joshua Oppenheimer movie. That was the year of um, Cartel Land, which is really good. But Amy wins everything that year. And Mm -hmm. as did that was the trajectory of man on wire and truly we're sort of going roundabout here. But like, when you talk about like, we talk about like, why did a movie have Oscar buzz? And you can talk about Zemeckis all you want, former Oscar winner. Obviously all of his movies are going to have some kind of Oscar buzz. You can talk about Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but like the walk had Oscar buzz primarily because man on wire was such a huge Oscar favorite. Like,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The that movie won every single possible documentary award from critics from precursors from whatever everybody was on board for man on wire and it really you just sort of expected that the walk was going to draft off of that pretty easily and it's a good documentary but I remember even at the time people being like why is this the one that's winning everything yeah because I feel like that was a really... Wasn't that the year of... Um, that wasn't the year of Exit Through the Gift Shop, right? That was 2010.
1: No, Exit Through the Gift Shop is older. Is older?
0: No, Exit Through the Gift Shop is 2010.
1: And Man on Wire yeah, is 2008. Yeah, it's, it's older than 2015, I mean. Oh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm, I mean like the 2008 documentary year. Um, oh, it's interesting. Maybe. So it's co-nominees uh, that year where the Werner Herzog movie Encounters at the End of the World which I did see in theaters and that's that's one of the movies it's a very good movie it's about um uh sort of like antarctic uh deep sea exploration or whatever um but it's one of those movies where like the Werner Herzog voiceover becomes very funny where just like every single (laughs) thing is just like just like observe this in in in, uh now I'm doing French I can't do I can't do a Werner Herzog accent um Uh,
1: I can't do a Werner I can't either either. Um, it's it's a flaw but every single thing is just like listen to him say science words all day long it's science words very funny
0: yes it's science words but also every single sentiment ends up as and one day we will all be destroyed by the end of the planet like that kind of thing it's just like every single thing becomes this just like existential despair it's so great um the other big uh documentary though that year was trouble the water which i think that was a movie that a lot of people were like can't this Uh movie get something that was the uh post hurricane katrina documentary um but no man on wire wins everything directed by james marsh who uh Went on to direct The Theory of Everything. And also, you, <laughs> I still can't believe this movie actually got
1: released. Do you remember? Did you? You didn't see The Mercy, did you? Right? Uh, okay, I know what this is, but I can't think of it. What is that?
0: 2017, James Marsh directed it. It's the um, Sailboat Around the World movie with uh, Colin Firth and Rachel Weiss screenplay by Uh, scott z burns directed by james marsh like right after the theory of everything i remember like having this on my little spreadsheet of like movies to look forward to i was so oh
1: right yes i know this by the poster i kept
0: expecting it to play like um uh tiff i think it was because i think it just was like hanging around in a can
1: for like over a year, and or it's like the type of thing that shows up at Tribeca.
0: <laughs> sure, but it didn't even do that. But then I, I was just like, I kept waiting for it to like finally show up at a festival or like get released. And then the next thing I know is, I was like, Oh, was that released two years ago? And I just never knew it. And and it just got such a inauspicious release. But like Colin Firth post Oscar, Rachel Vice Oscar winner, James Marsh post Theory of Everything, like it's so bizarre. That it just Maybe got it's nothing. terrible. Oh, I mean I'm sure it's terrible. Um, but I was like, oh, this is and again, this is why we do this podcast. These movies that look pristine on paper, it's just like it's got everything going for it. Um, based on a true story, you know, overcoming adversity. Like this was in the wake of All Is Lost, even though All Is Lost didn't get the Oscar nomination. But like Is All Lost. Is All lost. Well, it was for the mercy, apparently. Um so yeah, Man on Wire, huge, huge uh, Oscar winner. What where where were you on that movie?
1: I, I'm I, probably the same exact feeling that you were just expressing of it's like okay, this is fine, but not like steamrolling yeah. good, you know? Right. I mean, compared to the Walk, it's at least you know you understand... There's an internal... Philo Petit, yeah. Yeah,
0: internal momentum to it. Right. Yeah.
1: There's also something about... I mean, again, we. I think that the visual effects are impressive, but it's also like rose-tinted glasses um, in, like, the New York City skyline. Like, obviously, there's a sentimental air to the movie because of the Twin Towers and 9-11. Right. But the actual photos that they use in Man of Wire are way more like... um... When he's just this like speck
0: from the ground, like that kind of a thing. Oh yeah, it's like the poster of that movie is this very sort of it's gotta be a helicopter shot of Mm -hmm. um, him on the wire in between the towers and he looks so small you can like barely tell that it's a human being. And it's it's really effective honestly
1: it, yeah it's much it's a little bit more like naturalistically effective of like the kind of achievement that he did and like how <laughs> terrifying it is versus like this movie that makes it feel a little plastic
0: um i'm going to bring up an element of this movie that i'm going to want to hear you speak on cuz
1: i can't and that is the bird Oh my god i I forgot about the
0: bird don't
1: don't forget about the
0: bird or else work history is condemned to repeat it like if we have to we have to <laughs> it's remember
1: so stupid it is the worst c g i it is he's it's literally so laying on a on the wire, which kill me now yep um, yep awful and then uh the a bird flies up and like looks him in the eye. And it's such a close-up, and the
0: bird is, like, sub-Hitchcockian levels. Like, in the, like, many decades since the birds, we apparently have not progressed past the way of being (laughs) able to shoot a bird in close-up without it looking like it's made of fucking Play-Doh. It looks (laughs) so (laughs) dumb!
1: Maybe the bird is the reason why this didn't get the visual effects nomination. Honestly, it would deserve it. Um It's also at the point, too, where he's, like, going back and forth several times. We and, don't like, need this police, whimsy at this point. We love that. Yeah. Um, But it's just like, get off that wire! Get it over with. Get don't bring in way. a fucking bird get at this that point. Yeah. Yep. No,
0: every single time he decided, like, to take a knee on the wire or to kneel on the Pole that he's using for balance, so that he literally like both of his knees are on the pole. So he's like not even on the wire at that point. I was just like, I hate this. I hate watching this. I hate the feeling (laughs) that I have while I'm watching this. Please stop everything you're doing. Yeah. uh, Final thoughts? Any kind of? I, I the bird was sort of my. I was sort of going through my notes, and I think that's most everything oh no um he walked up to the roof of the tower that first time the part where he sees the door open and he and he scoots into the little you know back service staircase or whatever and then the next thing we see he's like emerging at the at the roof of the tower fresh as a daisy and just like i i have had friends who have had Like fifth, fourth, fifth floor walk ups, where I've like, no, let's just meet at a place. Like, I'm just not gonna, I, let's meet at a restaurant or somewhere. I'm not going to do that. I, I have never been faced with this choice, but like, I always think about it living in New York. I'm like, what if I started dating somebody and it turned out they had like a fifth floor walk up? Like, what would that choice be? Because that is how much I fucking hate climbing stairs. And that's, Five stories that is not walking up the entire tower of the world trade center and it's just like you're not even gonna be like not even gonna have a seat not even gonna like take a break no like fuck that i hate that so much
1: maybe he shouldn't be walking wires and he should climb a wire to not have to go up the stairs indeed indeed um bird is bad bird is bad dialect is bad yeah all of these things i feel like i've maybe talked myself into liking the movie less than i thought <laughs> i did when it was done but i still did kind of enjoy this sometimes movie.
0: that's an accomplishment when you like when you talk about a movie and it's just sort of like wait i'm finding all these flaws in it and yet you undeniably had in the moment a great experience that's like that's right. an achievement too you know what i mean that it that much like this Fucking accomplishment by this egomaniacal lunatic. Um, it defies all logic of why it should be and it should work. And yet for you, it worked. And
1: well, the fine. wire sequences—it's good, minus the bird.
0: That's the other thing: is the bird is such an invasion of the one part of the movie that really works. I'm just like, no, like, why put are the we doing in this? A bad part of the movie. <laughs> like, I don't like that. Yeah. the walk walk. oh i wanted to briefly go into the awards tab for the walk because i feel like i saw something interesting it did get a broadcast film critics nomination for uh, visual effects i got some critics prize like runner-up stuff for visual effects Mm -hmm. won the golden satellite so you know not too bad. I thought there was. I guess I. I thought there was something else in there, but apparently, not. Um. Oh, it did get a nomination from Online Film and Television Association for best movie poster, and that is one thing I wanted to bring up, which is the poster for this movie is great. The 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 you know ground view straight up the tower is great. The teaser trailer, the regular trailer for this movie is kind of like whatever, but the teaser trailer, which is your your following that shot that goes right up the building from the ground and like it's going and going and going and you get the sense of just how high this tower is. And in the teaser, as it's doing that, there's like block text that is rushing at you where it's just like from director Robert Semeckis, the director of, and then it's like back to the future and Forrest Gump and whatever and flight. And, and then finally you get to the top and it's just wordless Joseph Gordon Levitt walking out on that steel girder that rusty fucking steel girder, um, and sort of like, uh, has like shakes for a moment. And you, and you you sort of, I remember the audience that I saw that teaser with sort of like gasped for a second. And then he, you know, goes on one leg and kind of whatever pirouettes, uh, into the thin air or whatever. Um, is a really, really good teaser. It's a real, it's like everything that is best about that movie hmm Condensed into a very sort of like brief and punchy uh teaser. And I wish that we never got an actual trailer, because the trailer
1: sort of demystifies <laughs> by by like by its broke function. the spell.
0: Yeah. Yeah, kind of.
1: Because you heard Joseph Gordon Lavitt speak.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: yeah. I do like him, but I can't deny he
0: is not good in this movie.
1: Should we go on to the IMDb game? Yeah, let's. Tell us, tell the children. Every week, we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of these titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles' release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints, and uh, you will have to, uh, how you say, uh, walk the wire.
0: <laughs> yes. That's, if you don't get it after a certain number of guesses, you have to walk Zewire. Christopher, would you like to give or guess first?
1: Uh, I will give first, I okay. think. Okay, all right. All right, uh, so we mentioned this is a very uh, paltry, not very good uh, best actor lineup. The winner, notedly, famously, it's Leonardo DiCaprio, so I'm going easy on you this week and giving you Leonardo oh. DiCaprio.
0: I mean you say going easy and yet he's one of those actors who have had so many signature movies that something's gonna miss. If All you right. say so? No, I do. Like there's he has at least <laughs> he has at least five iconic roles. It's not you know what I mean? Like he's been around a long time. Lots of better. Oscar nominations. Lots of Oscar nominations. Although the first one I will guess is uh iconically not an Oscar nomination for him, but uh it's gotta be Titanic. Titanic! Titanic is in there I don't love this film or performance, certainly not as much as most people do, but I'm gonna say The Wolf of Wall Street Yes, Wolf of Wall Street Alright, those are the the slam dunks. Now it's IMDb usually is pretty reliable for the big Oscar nominations and wins, so I'm gonna say The Revenant
1: No! See, this is where it gets interesting. Yeah, yeah. Usually the Oscar-winning performance is on there. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense for DiCaprio, A, people don't like that movie, B, like... He's got a lot of competition. There's just more famous stuff than that movie. Like, that movie fully doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's funny, but it, it's you're right. Um, Inception. Inception!
0: Okay, all right, okay.
1: You have one more. You only have one wrong guess.
0: I feel like it's another Scorsese. Scorchies. Scorchiesi. Um, I'm flipping a coin at the moment between Shutter Island and Gangs of New York, and I'm gonna say Shutter Island.
1: Incorrect. Fuck.
0: Okay. Well, that's uh, too incorrect.
1: Shutter Island is great. I love that I love his performance, but your year is 2006. He is a
0: uh duly appointed federal marshal. Okay. Oh, I was right about Scorsese. I was just wrong about the film. It's The Departed. It is The Departed. It's not Blood Diamonds. It is in fact The Departed. What if it was Blood Diamond? How what awful would that be? I would truly have to uh say bling bang to that list if he was <laughs> <laughs> on there for Blood Diamond, yeah. the
1: audacity of you reminding me of the line "bling bang."
0: I'm always going to do it. What else? What else am I going to say when the movie Blood Diamond comes up? Like, what a great Jennifer Connelly performance! No, I'm going to say bl- "bling bang." Wait, all right, DiCaprio. God, I can't believe I had to go to hints for DiCaprio. That's so embarrassing. I'm taking it easy on you, he says. Exposing well. your ignorance is what you mean. All right. Um, as we've mentioned before, this is not the first Robert Zemeckis film we have done on this podcast. We covered Welcome to Marwin before. One of the stars of Welcome to Marwin, who we have never done on the IMDb MD- game before, is Ms. Leslie Mann. So, Aha. Chris, give me Leslie Mann.
1: Um, I'm gonna say blockers. Nope. Okay. Um, She's very up. good in blockers. Blockers She's is very wonderful good. in blockers. Yes, knocked, knocked up. up, knocked up indeed. This is forty.
0: Yes, two entries for playing the same person. Uh, knocked up, and this is forty. You got him. Um, this is forty, by the way. Excruciating. I I saw a little bit of that again. It was on one of the cable channels. I never recently. actually
1: saw it. It is
0: horrible it is absolutely who was i texting was it maybe you where i was like casting um jason siegel as the person like the hot like canonically hot personal trainer who is like functions in the movie is to like draw her eye away from her husband and casting that as jason siegel for as handsome as i like jason is handsome but like that is the most egregious bit of friend casting in a movie I have maybe ever seen. It's like, who is our epitome of hotness character? We literally are the biggest filmmaker in, like, biggest popular filmmaker in America. We could have our pick of anybody. Who are we going to choose? We're just going to choose our friend Jason Siegel. It's just like, all right, you're <laughs> out of control. And that is truly Judd Apatow is out of control in This Is 40. It is the most navel-gazing thing you're ever going to see in your entire life. And yet there is one good scene with Leslie Mann and Megan Fox out at a club dancing to Nicki Minaj, and it's the only thing that I will stand by in that movie. Fantastic.
1: Um, anyway, you're two for three. I don't... Uh, I <clears throat> hope that the 40-year-old virgin is in there, or I I hope that it's not in there, and she's only got the one scene, so I'm not gonna guess that just yet. I also don't think she's in it for the bling ring i'm gonna say the cable guy it's a good guess but it's not the cable guy okay all right be like third building cable so you
0: have years now your two missing years are 1997
1: and 2014 okay uh 97's gotta be george of the jungle it
0: is i can't believe you remember that she's in george of the jungle I like that
1: movie.
0: <laughs> I've never seen it. I never think about it. I've it's never seen stupid. it. It's stupid. It is certainly a key text in the Brendan Fraser hot fucking piece of man 90s like story that we're all that we were all told.
1: <laughs> uh the 2014, Brendan Fraser. Is it because I'm trying to think of things that she's like higher build in. Is it the Cameron Diaz movie with a generic title? I forget what it is. That's this is one of Cameron Diaz's last movies.
0: Yeah, it is. It's horrifyingly, sadly, one of Cameron Diaz's last movies. It is Cameron Diaz and Leslie Mann, and who's the third? Do you remember who the third is?
1: Uh, the...
0: not Brooklyn Decker, even
1: though it's basically the same kind of template as Brooklyn Decker. <laughs> It's, um, Model. Sports Illustrated. Why do I want to keep saying Gigi Hadid? It's, um, Kate Upton.
0: <laughs> it's Kate Upton. It is Cameron Diaz's third last movie. She only made two feature films that were released after this.
1: Oh boy. Do you want to a gu- do you take a guess? Um, Annie.
0: Annie is her last. Annie is the last movie Cameron Diaz ever made. It's so sad. And um, that's not the year of The Counselor, is it? No, The Counselor was 2013. Her Ah. last three films are all 2014. So The Other Woman, which is the title you couldn't come up with, was April of 2014. Annie is November or December 2014? I can't remember. December. Christmas movie. And then this one that you're not thinking of was like... July, July Um, of 2014, mainstream comedy, starring one of a a name I literally just mentioned a few minutes ago. Oh, it's um, sex tape, sex tape with Jason Segel, a movie that discovered the cloud and was very frightened of it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird four for Leslie Mann. That's why. That's why I selected it because. Knocked Up and This is 40 make a ton of sense, and then George of the Jungle and the other woman kind of don't at all. Well, Disney Plus. I bet that's a Disney
1: Plus thing. Oh. People are looking up George of the Jungle. That's interesting. I love that, that you I brought up Disney her... Disney Plus? Am I... I mean, it's, it's a Disney freak. movie, right? Isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah? Well, now let yeah. me look at the poster and see if there's the telltale little, uh... Maybe like not. Like a Tri-Star movie? Alright. Anyway. No, I'm going to look it up. We deserve to know, our listeners deserve to know whether George of the Fucking Jungle is a Disney movie or not. Like um,
1: Hollywood Studios?
0: Yeah, Walt Disney Pictures. Fantastic. Yeah, all right. It's a good episode, Chris. About Great episode, Zewak. That's our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and
1: your, how you say, stuff? Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, not Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, crispy File, it's F-E-I-L, also in letterbox under the same name. Yeah,
0: I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed, spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd, as Joe Reed, spelled the exact same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so please write us something sweet en français, s'il vous plaît. Oh, that is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz.
1: Again. Now, are you ready to go and find your family? Yes! Chantal! Take my little friend to immigration. You will find your family there. Everyone goes through immigration. <laughs> I would take you there myself, but then I would never finish my statue. Henri,
0: me, you said Never! Oh so I did
1: Never say never Never say never Never, say never. never.